So this week we are looking at the heart in the book of Proverbs and understanding the heart in particular. What makes us tick? What's at the core of who we are? What drives us? And I just want to talk a little bit at the beginning here about about biblical anthropology. Uh, anthropology being the study of man, of humanity. What makes us who we are? How do we work? Uh, think of uh, Jerry Maguire and... There's that scene. It's been so long since I've seen it, and I did not look this up, but um, where Tom Cruise is talking to Cuba Gooding Jr. and they're in the middle of a fight it's before their turnaround, and he's his only client, and he's just a Cuba Gooding Jr. is just full of himself. He's a prick, and he's bitter. You know, he's bitter. There's a bitter root. He's just resentful of all the stuff that he didn't get and all that he thinks he deserves. And so, at some point, he talks about. Uh, Tom Cruise has a has a come to Jesus moment with him, and he just says something like, "Yeah, you uh, it's something about your heart, you know. You're, you don't have any heart. You're just playing for the money. You're just playing because you think I deserve this, I deserve that. That's not a heart." And and Jer- and Cuba Gooding Jr. with some tasteful language, some colorful language, I should say, that I uh, tasty language. That's what I meant to say that I that I can't that I can't repeat here. Says I'm all heart. I am all heart. And of course he's not. And that's sort of the beginning of a slide into a bit more realism with him where he realizes there needs to be a change. And, um, and, and, and there, and there begins to be one at, at the core of who he is. And as, as there's a heart change in him, he, his, everything in his life changes. Everything turns around because the heart is the deepest part of who we are. And, and, you know, you, you see that even in the way that Cuba Gooding Jr. comes back at Tom Cruise and says, I'm all heart. And we all know that if someone's all heart, that means that means that there's there's a, there's a fountain inside of them that's bubbling over and deriving in a good way what they're doing. They care about what they put their hand to and for the right reasons. And um, that's the biblical that's the biblical anthropology it, heart is is uh, because of the enlightenment we think of heart in the west is sort of opposed to head or very different from the head the head is the mind the rational the thoughts the heart is not the thoughts it's the emotions not reliable unstable um, but the heart in the hebrew bible and in the uh, in the bible is not it's not just a seat of the emotions it's the core of who we are it's where everything about who we are ties together body soul um Mind, will, affections, and there's our, our key verse or, or cluster of verses is out of Proverbs four, twenty-three and following. It says, "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life." All right, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read that verse again. Four Proverbs four twenty-three. Keep your heart. That word in the Hebrew just mean it can mean guard. it means guard as well. So keep your heart, guard your heart would probably be better. Guard your heart, not just have it, keep it. You know, you think of put it in a box. No, no, guard it. There, there takes vigilance there, right? and they actually goes on to say that. Guard your heart. What? In case you missed it, guard your heart with all vigilance. Every, do everything you can to guard the most important part about who you are, the thing out of which everything else springs in your life. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. And then the, the author of Proverbs goes on, put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. He repeats himself in the parallelism there of the Hebrew poetry. Let your eyes look. So he talked about the mouth and I moved to the eyes. Let your eyes look directly forward 
and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. In other words, watch what you say, watch what you look at, watch where you're walking, watch where you go. Um, so there's a bit of a an input uh, output sort of thing going on here. Um, and again, let me just dig in a bit more before we get into that, uh, into what is the biblical understanding of heart here. When I read keep your heart, again, as a Westerner, you're going to think immediately. You're going to tend toward, okay, emotions. But um, like I said, the, the, the heart is the core of who we are. Tim Keller puts it like this. In the Bible, the heart is not primarily the seat of the emotions in contrast to the head as the seat of reason. Rather, the heart is the seat of your deepest trusts, commitments, and loves from which everything flows. What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. Right. So it's even going to shape the way that you think. You will find reasons for what you love. Thus, does Jesus say that our, out of our hearts flow every vice I'm not quoting from Keller anymore, by the way. Um, he's not just saying that, that our vices are sins, adultery, hatred, murder, lust, jealousy, uh, emerge from our emotions or feelings. He's saying that they, they emerge from the deepest part of who we are, our core processor, to use sort of um, a modern image. Um, this is the heart. Life flows from it, and so nothing is more important, as we see in the verse in Proverbs 4.23, nothing is more important than keeping or guarding the heart with all the vigilance you can muster. You know, someone came to Jesus and they, and they said multiple times they tested him and they said, hey, um, where have you gotten your schooling? And they would test him on the law. What's the most important law out of the 613? And he would always say the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Uh, Shema Israel, hear Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and and it's not just heart heart mind strength but the primary place there is the heart and every other thing that comes after it mind strength soul those are sort of elaborations they're unpackings of the heart itself so this uh, heart gets pride of place because the heart is the essence of who we are um and we are called with with all of our heart to love God. And so the best way, and if we just had to end the sermon right now, so the best way to guard your heart is to, you are what you eat. You are what you eat to feed on Christ. And how do we do that? We do that. You know, some people think, I heard the other day someone say, uh, I, I watch horror movies, but it doesn't affect me. Rubbish. That is such, that is such naive anthropology. We, we are what we take in. Screens. We're looking at pictures, glossy, beautiful pictures of other people all the time. You're going to be a jealous, dissatisfied person. Um, you know, do you do you watch? Do you sit? Are you passive by sitting and watching shows all the time? You're going to you're going to be a passive person. You're going to become like whatever it is you're watching. What do you read? You're going to become like what you read. Um, do, who do you spend time with? You're going to become like those people. Um, spending time with God, we do it through his word. We do it in Christian community. We do it by sharing our faith. We do it all the time. We walk and talk with him. His spirit is in us if we, indeed we are in Christ by faith. But we get to know him primarily through his word and prayer and community. And so we imbibe him through the printed word prayerfully. Um, we, the, his word shapes us. 
his word his spoke is his his written word by his spirit by faith is his spoken word to us we meet with him personally as we're in his word by faith so so it's personal it's printed it affects us it shapes us that ought to be that is the chief way that we that we guard our hearts um and and, and the the verse cluster the passage that i read in proverbs 4 right it speaks to that right it says keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the flow the flow flow the springs of life and then it goes on to say basically how we do that put away from you crooked speech uh make sure that you're focused with your eyes on the right things right don't go don't look this way or that way it's a sideways glance that's the envious glance the lustful glance he said keep your eyes forward fixed on something good and that something good is jesus right fix your eyes on christ the author and perfecter of your faith uh, we do that through his word we do that in prayer we do that as we spend time with other believers and as we share our faith um ponder the path of your feet watch where you're going all right so um we we um this is this is how we guard our hearts our hearts are shaped by not only what we take in but also even how we speak are we or do we complain and grumble all the time it's going to poison your heart it's going to poison the environment around you it's going to poison the hearts of others around you but we're commanded not to grumble or complain but rather to give thanks in all circumstances to praise god to sing of his praises all the time and and how worthy he is and how good he is and how full of mercy and compassion um and justice and holiness and as we speak, it's going to change the environment. It's actually going to shape our hearts. Our words are going to shape our hearts. What we set our eyes on are going to shape our hearts. Where we go, the decisions we make are going to shape our hearts. Um, you know, if you if you look at if you gaze at pornography all the time, you're going to be an oleaginous, oily, slippery, spineless, weak, unhappy, grasping person, aren't you? Yes, because it's what you're gazing at. We become like what we look at. Right? Adam and Eve, they looked at the one thing, they gazed longingly at the one thing that they could not have, the one thing in the world. They could have everything else, but they gazed at the one thing, and Satan, that was his trick. He got them to gaze at it, and they became like that thing. They became like disobedience to God. They became like death, and death took over every part of who they were. And it took every it took over every part of what they were given dominion over, which is all of creation. So this there's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than gazing than 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 uh than guarding our hearts and gazing at the right things. Um in our in our words, what we what we listen to and also what we speak, where we go, what we look at. Um so that's that's the first bit of, that I want to say. Uh, a, a sort of another verse and a corollary under this this topic of just understanding the human heart is that discernment comes from the heart and we need discernment to live well proverbs fifteen fourteen says the heart of him who has understanding or discernment i'm reading from the esv that word being also means discernment the heart of him who has understanding or discernment seeks knowledge but the mouths of fools feed on folly okay the understanding or discerning person seeks out learning that means you're quiet you listen with both ears you ask questions you, uh, you you're saying basically constantly i don't know i want to learn more tell me teach me i'm thirsty for knowledge the fool thinks he knows everything the fool does not listen the fool's constantly talking you know the fool multiplies words that's from ecclesiastes the fool multiplies words 
um, and doesn't think he has anything to learn. But the the you know a blow to the back won't 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 teach a fool. But the slightest rebuke, the slightest whiff of a rebuke, even someone else getting rebuked, the wise person learns from. I read this morning that the wise person loves getting rebuked. I hate getting rebuked. So that means I'm not wise, right? I'm speaking personally by way of confession right now. That really, that really convicted me this morning. The wise person craves rebuke. Why? Because it's an opportunity to learn because you're humble. You want to learn. So I prayed this morning, Lord, help me to love rebuke. Help me to love correction. It hurts though. It hurts my pride. I have so much pride. So it's, it's a way of how does rebuke, how does correction affect us? When you check your heart, it's a way of, it's a diagnostic. It's a way of seeing how much pride I have, how much of a fool I am. Or how much of a wise person am I? And I want to make progress in that area. Um, God corrects us because he loves us. Hebrews 12 makes that case clearly. That if he's correcting us, if he's disciplining us, um, it means he loves us. We're his sons and daughters. If he lets us go and do our own thing, Romans 1, it's because he hates us. It's because he doesn't, he doesn't care for us because we have not come to him in Christ by faith. That's the only way to become his child, to be close to him, to be clean in his sight. And if we're not his, then he disregards us and he lets us go do our own thing, which is horrible. You never want God to do that with you. You want him to care about you, to discipline you, to correct you. Go read Psalm 73. This man thought he was being hated on by God, but he was actually being loved on by God because God was correcting him. And he was letting the, he was letting the, the sinful person just live, live the Vita Loca and do what he wanted to. But eventually he was, he was sliding. He was on his way down to hell. He was sliding toward hell. Um, so God corrects us because if we're his children, uh, he even corrected his own son, even though his son was perfect and non-sinful. He learned things. Jesus learned things through his through his pain, through his being corrected. He grew more complete, we're told in the book of Hebrews, which is phenomenal. That speaks to his 100 percent of his humanity. Um, Keller has a great quote here. I, I, I need to read it. Um, let me let me just read. This isn't Keller, but. The discerning person, one of the things we get from the verse I just read, is that the discerning person elicits words and wisdom from outside of himself, whereas the fool seeks nothing from outside of himself, right? But he just spouts from whatever's inside. Um, in other words, wise people seek and they listen and they ask questions and they invite rebuke. The fool, um, the fool just talks and talks. So run from those kind of people. And if you're that kind of person, confess it to the Lord. He is the word. Submit yourself under his word and be a student of it. Tim Keller, fools can be said to be all mouth, always spouting foolishness. The wise, however, are all heart. And every new experience is a way for their hearts to become more discerning. Um, in a TV episode based on an Agatha Christie story, a retired Scotland Yard inspector explains to an incredulous friend that Miss Marple is the greatest criminologist in England. I was watching a Miss Marple episode just yesterday. Um, there she sits, he says, an elderly spinster, sweet, placid, or so you'd think. Yet her mind has plumbed the depths of human iniquity and taken it all in a day's work. She's lived all her life in a little rural village of St. Mary's Mead. It's extraordinary. She knows the world only through the prism of that village and its daily life. But by knowing the village so thoroughly, she seems to know the world. Um, in other words... She doesn't have to travel to Paris or or uh, Globetrot and see everything and take in everything to be wise. She's wise enough to understand what the wise do, which is that there is enough life around you on your block, in your household, in your own heart um, 
in the presence of God with you. There is enough life just around you in your parochial setting, in your village, as it were, uh, for for you to have all the input you need. Um, and to to grow in discernment is to pay attention, it's to keep your eyes open, it's to keep your ears open uh, to the Lord, to others. And, and, and under, that's to be an understanding person, not just to talk, 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 and give answers everywhere you go. Uh, you see something similar with, with um, Flannery O'Connor, who was really a really talented writer, died at the age of 39 because of lupus. And uh, all, a lot of the rising literati stars in the firmament back in her day were, were living in Paris and, and going and and uh, going to exotic places and in writers guilds and stuff like that. And she went home partly because of her sickness, but she partly because of her wisdom went home to her small hometown in Georgia, lived with her mother, sat on the front porch every day, cultivated local friendships. And, and she plumbed the depths of many of the depths of human uh, wisdom because she had plenty in front of her right there in front of her on her front porch in rural Georgia. Um, you see a lot of that, too, in the book, the Pulitzer Prize winning book written, in, I think, in 1974 called uh, The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. Um, there's enough right under our feet. There are worlds right in front of us if we'll just open our eyes uh, and listen and and be available. Um, and let me just finish with driving us toward the gospel. Um, you have. You know, sometimes Keller says that he points out that if you read the Proverbs superficially, you can think that they, they are suggesting that um, that we can if we just take hold of wisdom, um, we can earn salvation. We can clean ourselves up. Um, that's that's a superficial reading of, of the Proverbs. Um, actually, let me read Proverbs 16 too. It, it tells us pointedly the, um, what, what really is in our hearts. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So that's a sort of half step toward what I'm saying. That's Proverbs 16 too. In other words, man, don't, don't rely on your understanding of your own heart. Rely on, cause we, we're basically always going to have a pretty chair. The most charitable view of, of me comes from me. Let the Lord's word, let others critique you. Welcome that, especially those that know and love you. And let the Lord's word critique you. The Lord sees all and, and sitting under his word by his spirit through faith. Uh, we, we are rebuked. We are corrected. We are shown our sin by the Holy Spirit and, and offered a way of repentance, um, and forgiveness, which is found in Jesus Christ. And so we can think that we're pure, but it's the Lord who decides. It's the Lord is our judge. We are not. So you can think I'm good, but don't think that you're good just because you think you are. You know, come, uh, Put yourself and your life and your heart up against the Lord's word. And if you never get into it, that's why so many people hate God's word, because it, it's convicting. But it's the only way toward a clean heart. And what is what does the Lord's word ultimately converge on? What does it take us to? Jesus said, he said, um, don't think that I've come. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says elsewhere, that's in Matthew 5 and John 5. He says to the teachers, he says, you, you search the law because you think you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. But it's they that point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me. So the scriptures point us to Jesus. Um, 
and 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 he is the he is the one that the word takes us to and he is the way he he both shows us he both shows us how how crooked and corrupt we are i mean that's what he went to the cross for because of our crookedness and corruptness because of our sin and rebellion but in showing us that he provides through that same instrument through the cross a way a way of escape a way to be cleansed of our sin and to actually receive a new heart by faith, his heart in our place. He takes our sin. He gives us his heart and his righteousness. That's what, that's what faith transacts. It's an open faith. Faith is an open hand that just grabs hold of all that God has for us in Christ. So the scriptures do convict us and show us our own impurity, but they lead us to Jesus. Um, so what Keller puts it briefly he says, uh, laconically, he says, follow God's word instead of your feeling. Right. Um, and so we can think too highly of ourselves. We can also just beat up on ourselves and see our sin and think and get plunged into the depths of despond. Uh, our, the, the God's word also, again, through the gospel, by taking us to Jesus, it gives us great hope. It buoys us. It, it's our ballast, but it's also our buoy. John writes um, in 1 John 3.20, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Don't go with your feelings. Go with what God's word says about you, that you're a sinner, yes, but you're deeply and dearly loved, and God has paid the highest price to rescue you from yourself, from Satan, from hell, and from death. He took all that in your place. Come to him by faith. Come to Jesus and receive new life. Um, Die to the old man and, and be born again into his life. Be united to him by faith. And, and receive that word about you. You are dearly loved in Christ. You can be made a child of God. He'll never unchild you. He'll never unson or undaughter you. Once you're his, you're his forever. You'll be with him forever. He puts his spirit inside of you. He locks you to himself with hoops of steel, stronger than steel, quoting from the little Hamlet there. And that's the truth about you. You're dearly loved. Even if, even as you realize you're deeply sinful, and that God's love for you doesn't depend on your behavior. It depends on the behavior of Christ. You see, that's what the word says about you. So let it let it give you hope as well as show you your true condition. Right. Um, and then finally, just as we wind down in this gospel proclamation uh, and, and just thinking about the heart and our understanding of the heart from the book of Proverbs and from the Bible more widely. Um, Proverbs 20, verse nine. Let me read it. Who can say I have made my heart pure? I'm clean from my sin. Well, the implicit answer there is no one can say it. Only a liar. Only a fool would think that he is pure, he is clean from sin. The Bible's very clear. The Proverbs are even very clear. There is no one without sin. And the, and the, the just, uh, the just consequence of sin is our eternal condemnation because we, even one sin affects it, it, it affects every part of who God is. It offends every part of who God is. And, and he is infinite. He is infinite. He is unending he is he has all power he is justice he is love um and so we will pay for our offenses before a just god forever unless we run to christ who has paid for them in our place and and christ is our way of escape christ is our way into adoption into god's family christ is our way into being loved into being liked into being made friends of god um, so the Proverbs are clear as we wind down that it mean the Proverbs are clear that everybody is lost 
Um, to be clean and pure is to be acceptable before God, but nobody, nobody is. Psalm 130, verse 3 says that no one can stand before God. Psalm 15 talks about who can approach God. Well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, who has that? No one. So it humbles us, right? Because it tells us the truth about ourselves, but also it, it tells us the truth that you know we can't, if, if we know that about ourselves and about every human, there we can't divide the world neatly into good guys and bad guys. We all stand rightly um, condemned before a just God. But we are all, no matter who we are, or where we're from, or what we've done, offered uh, new life and total forgiveness and full adoption through the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that He sent in the fullness of time to rescue us. So let me let me close with this prayer again from Keller. Lord, I should not be disappointed or surprised that people are as bad as they are, and that includes me. And that's a realistic anthropology, right? Our realistic, biblical, proverbial anthropology anthropology shows us that no one's righteous, not one. We've all offended God. And yet he deeply loves us and has made, made a way for us to be lovely and to be loved by him, right? That's all me, by the way. So back to Keller. Um, help me. Um, I shouldn't be disappointed or surprised that people are as bad as they are. And that includes me. So much is amazed that so many of them are as good as they are by your grace. Let me be as gracious to sinners as you are. Hey, and can I say this? And to receive and accept his love for me, as simple and broken as I am. Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that is understanding the heart from the Proverbs. God bless you.